people love to bash the Lakers other guys just because they they're either the quote unquote meme team with Dion Waiters, J.R. Smith, all those guys, but you forget about those gritty guys like KCP Caruso, Markeith, even Rondo this series. Like they've been coming through. I've never seen a single person destroy a franchise's past, present, and future more than Billy O'B. I mean, just look at his his moves. He traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, a second round pick, traded Jadavion Clowney for a third round pick, gave up first and second round picks for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills, traded a second round pick for Brandon Cooks. Literally none of those players have worked out. This was funny because I was playing football with some buddies here and um, someone said, oh, the Seahawks and the Dolphins, it's like a close game. And then someone was like, oh, how much time's left? Four minutes, who has the ball? Russell Wilson. And then everyone was like, all right, all right, the Seahawks are gonna win. And that just shows how much having a quarterback you trust and rely on matters. Like if, if you know Russell Wilson has the ball, there's four minutes left, he's gonna score. I think that's something that a lot of teams are missing, but the Seahawks have. So they'll always pull up the close games and they're gonna be good as long as Russell Wilson is cooking. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Locked In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Shri. And we had two absolutely crazy-filled weeks in sport, but particularly this past weekend and this past week, NBA Finals Game 3 and Game 4. The Lakers in a commanding 3-1 lead, but the Heat managed to steal a game from the Lakers with Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic out, so really, really excited to talk about that. Lots of NFL news to talk about as well with regards to NFL Week 4, what happened, and then previewing Week 5. But first, let's jump right in to the NBA. And Game 3 was a doozy. Miami won that one, 115-104 to on Sunday. LeBron James, 25 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Anthony Davis, 15 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. Did not step up, AD didn't. Jimmy Butler went off, 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists. One of only two other players so one of three players total to have a 40 point triple double in the nba finals joined by jerry west and lebron james so great great company and kelly olenic stepping off off the bench 17 points seven rebounds in 31 minutes yeah there was a stat about jimmy's game which it's gonna go down eventually as one of the all-time finals performances in an individual game but it's the first time lebron james has been in the finals that he hasn't led in any of the points rebounds or assist categories in a finals game so in any finals game lebron has played he has led both teams in at least one of those three categories but this is the first time that didn't happen which just says a lot one about bronze dominance throughout last decade this decade but also about just how incredible the game jimmy butler played like He single-handedly put that Miami team on his back. His aggressiveness was really noticeable, at least in the first quarter, when, you know, Butler's normally looking to facilitate with all the shooters on that team. He's looking to drive, kick, make plays for others, run some offense through Bam. But in this game, when Bam wasn't playing, Jimmy had to do what Jimmy Buckets of Chicago used to do when Rose was sitting out with injury. Like, he took the primary offensive load, and I really loved seeing that. Like, he... An aggressive Jimmy Butler is just better for this Miami team. We've all heard the story of Jimmy Butler taking the Minnesota Towel Boys and beating the starting five for the Minnesota Timberwolves other than him in in a scrimmage in practice. 
and that aggressive alpha Jimmy Butler has sort of been ingrained in our minds. But honestly, during these playoffs, Jimmy Butler hasn't needed to be that ultra-aggressive person. My brother always complains when Jimmy Butler drives instead of taking the layup, which he did in Game 4 and which he did a lot in Game 3. Instead of taking that layup, what he ends up doing is turns around and kicks the ball back out. Maybe that's just part of the Heat game plan, but he just wasn't aggressive in Game 1 and 2 and most of the other playoff games, and you never saw him be the primary scoring option. He'd always try and facilitate, and for the most part, it worked out. The Heat managed to get a lot of open shots, lots of picks, lots of screen setups so that Hero and Robinson, Olenek, Drogic could take these nice shots, but sometimes you just got to take matters into your own hands, and Jimmy Butler really did that. Also, again... Bam Adebayo out, Goran Dragic out, and the Heat managed to take a game with both those players out. We thought Bam might have come back for Game 3. He just wasn't able to, and really got to credit that that Heat bench. Myers Leonard, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Kelly Olynyk. Some of those players were starting, but still, those young guys really, really stepped up. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and then Myers Leonard and Kelly Olynyk, especially in Game 3, stepped up and really, really brought the Heat back into the series, you know, making it 2-1. Well, one of the things I love about Olenek's game and what he brings to this Miami team is that he's every team he's been on, he's always found a way to carve out some rotation minutes. And as a stretch big man in this league, you're always going to have that chance. And Myers Leonard started almost every game for the Heat during the regular season. And seeing him in the bubble with his energy off the bench and just being that vocal presence for the team despite not really playing that much... I think it was nice to see him get rewarded. And he had a really nice stretch of like seven points in seven minutes. He ultimately, those points ended up being extremely useful. Like it was a tight game throughout until the Heat really pulled away late in the fourth. But credit those guys. You know, Duncan Robinson, he doesn't even have to be making shots to provide an impact for this team. Just the mere threat of him coming off screens and creating havoc on the perimeter for those Laker defenders. I think it really opens up Miami's offense a lot. And what he what he does in addition to just stretching out the floor and shooting threes is that he has a really good sense for playmaking Like when he does drive. Like, yes, he doesn't do it often, but he has the ability to get others open shots as well. So I really like what Duncan Robinson's been doing and growing throughout the season. Um, nice to see Miami get rewarded with a really, really good effort in Game 3. Um yeah, I know. And like, I think AD specifically was in foul trouble a lot of the game. Ended up only shooting nine shots the entire game, which was really surprising. Right. So uh, they managed to limit him without having Bam in. Again, credit that Miami defense and also the referees for allowing AD to be in foul trouble the entire game and not really put up that volume shots. So it was. And I think the biggest storyline that came out of Game 3, which kind of makes sense seeing that it was the LeBron James-led team in the finals, is that LeBron James walks off the court. With 10 seconds left, a lot of people had things to say of, oh, that's not being a good teammate, that's not being a good sport, whatever. LeBron James chalked it up to frustration, and a few other players walked off the court as well before the actual game ended. But I think LeBron James was just mad. He was mad because he knew that they shouldn't have lost this game. Maybe game four when Bam was back, but game three without Bam and Drogic, they shouldn't have lost that game. And again, credit Miami, credit Spolstra. Credit that young, young team that I think if if they don't end up succeeding this year will definitely be the number one seed or a threat to be the number one seed in the East next year. 
number one seed maybe not but they'll be in the mix for a conference finals berth for sure i still think there's regular season teams and there's playoff teams like miami's built miami's built for the playoffs they're not built to just dominate the regular season the way a team like milwaukee or you know golden state in its prime like those teams just ran the regular season with ease but it's a different story when you're not you're built for those seven game series where you can really lock in and focus on one team instead of just a night to night thing where, you know, some role players may not have good games. And we know what Jimmy Butler, like he's a star borderline superstar right now, but he doesn't score the way your typical superstar does. Like, yes, he can carry the load offensively as we saw in game three, but you're fine with him just playmaking and facilitating offense for the other really good Miami players. So I, I don't know. I, I don't see them as like a one seed type team. But yeah, you're right. Like they're very good. I thought the storyline coming out of game three was what Anthony Davis said. And this was reported by Chris Haynes. After game three, Anthony Davis alerted teammates and coaches that he, quote, needed to be glued to Jimmy Butler. And this is the whole case with AD's defensive player of the year candidacy, right? People who either don't watch the Lakers on a night in night out basis or kind of follow just the storylines and not really the details, may think that Davis guards primarily bigs. Like, he's a great rim protector, he blocks a lot of shots, and he does all the things in the paint to anchor a defense. But what they don't see is that this guy steps out on 6'6", 6'7", wings, and shuts them down. Like, Jimmy Butler was, I think, 1 of 5 when guarded by Anthony Davis last night. Like, overall, still 8 for 17 in Game 4, still had like 22 points, but... Going up against AD, you could just see he altered a lot of shots. Like, you know how you were saying your brother gets frustrated whenever Jimmy drives and just passes out? A lot of that is just because of the threat of Anthony Davis's blocking potential. Like, anybody would be scared when you're going up and you just see that imposing presence looming in the paint. And Davis shifts his feet really well. He can stay out on the perimeter. He doesn't get lost the way someone like Rudy Gobert may get lost. And I think he's just one of the most versatile guys in the league on both ends of the floor. And while he ne- he didn't necessarily have the offensive spotlight game in game four, which we'll get to later and discuss a little more, his defensive impact and imprint on that game was unparalleled. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think the fact that the Heat were able to get so many off-ball screens to switch Jimmy Butler onto smaller defenders like KCP, even Rondo sometimes in game three was the key for Jimmy Butler scoring that 40 plus points in that game. And really, I think when Jimmy becomes aggressive, he's not afraid to take on Anthony Davis, which, you know, sometimes may not be the best decision. But I think when when Jimmy, when Jimmy Butler does become ultra aggressive, he's not afraid to take on the best defenders in the game. But again, regardless of how aggressive Jimmy Butler is, the Heat did a great job in Game 3 specifically of putting a lot of off-ball screens, getting Butler on favorable matchups to get him those open shots, to get him shots that he could make on smaller defenders. And I think that was really a key for the Heat to making sure that they won that matchup in Game 3. But Game 4, I think, was a, a very different story. The, the Lakers only won by by 6 points, 102-96. But I think the score doesn't tell the whole story. And as you said, on paper, AD, 22 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists. But his defensive presence was truly something great in Game 4. And I think you could really feel that with the way the Heat were playing in Game 4. Yeah, like AD had four blocks. So he really set the tone on that end. And 
what what we saw with AD was special because yeah, his offensive numbers of the series are great. Like per stat muse, there's a there's a thing that AD shooting 61%, 55% from 3 and 100% from the free throw line in the series. So, we know what an all-world offensive player he is, but he he's made Bam look like he needs a couple more years to reach that level. And we weren't saying that about Bam in the Eastern Conference Finals, where he was the best player in the series. We said, oh, Bam is here. Like, he is the future at center. But just watching him go up against AD, like, especially coming back from that neck injury, Bam played well. Like, he gave a spark to a Miami team that needed it, especially down to one looking to even the series. But there were some foul trouble issues. Bam picked up three quick-ish fouls. He... He struggled trying to score against someone who can match his physicality and strength in the post. And Miami, what they do so well is they play a lot of their offense through Bam. And letting him play, make, and facilitate is one of their strengths. But Anthony Davis takes a lot of that away, not only with his wingspan, his verticality, but also he's a, he's a smart defender. Like He knows when to jump lanes. He knows when not to leave his feet. He knows all the little things that make a great defender. So... I think that was one of the more fun things to watch in Game 4. Miami yeah, did... I definitely agree. Yeah. yeah, no, no, continue. Oh, I was also, I was just going to say that I think one one key piece of what you were talking about is how smart a defender AD is, is the fact that Bam only had one assist. Mm-hmm. 15.7 rebounds, only one assist, and we kind of refer to Bam as point Bam. You know, sometimes he really plays the facilitating role. I think that's where Bam shines the most. He was able to dish out to a driving hero, a driving Robinson, kick out to Butler, and really be the all-world facilitator because then you need to take Bam's passing, his pump fake passes, everything into account. But AD really took that away, and that really helped out the Lakers, especially during during the key moments in the fourth quarter. You weren't necessarily scared of Bam as you might have been, as the Celtics might have been in the Eastern Conference Finals when Bam was truly dishing out to everybody and really being this huge facilitator averaging you know a couple of assists five six assists per game so i think that ad's defense really took that away in addition to the blocks which are obviously key and we saw that the lakers as a, as a whole play a pretty good defensive matchup creating a good amount of turnovers even though they turned the ball over a lot in game three and especially game four but they were still able to take a lot of turnovers create a lot of turnovers and we saw that one play where lebron james didn't block tyler hero shot but it got called out on James and they did the review. That in and of itself, I think, is what the Lakers' defensive philosophy is about. It's about really protecting the paint, trying to get turnovers, either steals, and we saw a lot of steals throughout the regular season and through some other games in the playoffs where it's just easy transition buckets for the Lakers and also just altering shots and just the fear of having LeBron James, if you're driving to the paint, come down and do a chase down block or just the fear of having AD do some crazy block on you with this ridiculously long wingspan. That's what scares these Miami offensive players when they're trying to take shots. And even somebody like Bam just really reduces the amount of things they can do on the court. And we saw someone like KCP really, really, really step up in game four, play a pivotal role. We'll talk about LeBron James and Anthony Davis in a bit, but we've been, as Lakers fans, We've been talking, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me, me and all the Lakers fans, talking a lot of smack about Danny Green and KCP, especially from the regular season towards now. And KCP has a lot of jokes about him, but he really, really stepped up 
He had, what, 15 points, three rebounds, five assists, played some really, really good defense, some really good switches. And, you know, Irvin Magic Johnson said it best, the hero of the game was KCP scoring 15 points and five assists. He really hit some tough shots and really, really turned it around for the Lakers, but also want to credit LeBron James. You know, he didn't have the greatest first half, but he came back 28 points, 12 rebounds, eight assists, almost another triple-double. He's essentially averaging close to a triple-double, close to a 30-point triple-double during the series. And we know that this wasn't his best basketball, but he really also stepped up in the fourth quarter for the Lakers. I'm going to tie in LeBron, Dwight Howard, and the Lakers' other guys in a strange way. So we saw we saw the Lakers start Dwight, right? And we saw Bam return from injury. Bam started, he came out the gates hot. Like Miami was going through him. Like he was, he was messing up the Lakers' defensive coverages because when Jimmy and Bam run their pick and roll, the defenders at least in that situation, were Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. And AD can switch, but when Jimmy gets Dwight on a switch, he just drives around him. Like, I think one of the first baskets of the game was they they ran a pick-and-roll, switched it, and Dwight got called for a foul when Jimmy scored a layup. So I think very early in the game, Frank Vogel noticed that Dwight Howard would not be able to play heavy minutes in this game. And that's when he went to Markeith Morris. And... The nice thing about Morris is that one, he's a very switchable defender. Two, he can hit the threes. And he's been doing that all finals long. Like people love, like you said, like people love to bash the Lakers other guys just because they they're either the quote unquote meme team with Deion Waiters, J.R. Smith, all those guys, but you forget about those gritty guys like KCP Caruso, Markeith, even Rondo this series. Like they've been coming through. Like you said, KCP. Really good defense. He's just chasing guys on screens all the time. He's he's making it hard for other people to get dribble penetration. He's irritating Duncan Robinson. And on the other side, he's hitting open threes, which is all you can ask for if you're a Laker fan. I know Danny Green is still kind of struggling. Got a couple Sad. of dunks, a couple of easy plays. He played some good defense, Danny Green. But KCP was the unsung hero of this game. Alex Caruso is just always smart on the basketball floor, knows exactly what reads to make. I've, I've said this about Caruso before on other pods, but I just love the way he fits in into this Lakers puzzle. And then Rondo, like we, we've discussed the chemistry with him in AD before, but he's starting to look more like the pesky Rondo on defense that we saw in Boston compared to this, this shell of himself that his first year with the Lakers, even when he switched between teams, the Mavs, the Kings. We didn't get to see that, Rondo. But now in meaningful playoff basketball, Rajon Rondo is either the third or fourth most important player on this Lakers team. And last but not least, Kuzma. Like, he's been playing really, really well these past two games. Game three, I know they lost, but he had 19 on very efficient shooting, knocked down some open threes. Continued that in game four. I thought he played a really good game on both ends of the floor. And... This LA team, I think we underestimated their other guys a little bit. Like I think they heard all the Twitter criticism, all the the bashing that you and I and all the basketball pundits around the world they say, but they've responded, man. I really liked it. I think I was accurate on my criticism. I talked about how Rondo is the third best player on the Lakers. I agree with that, and he really, really stepped up. I thought that Kyle Kuzma wasn't that good, and although he did step up in Game 3 and Game 4, he did have a pretty good game. Still, he needs to step up a lot more. And KCP did step up for one game. Congratulations, KCP. But Danny Green still 
did not step up at all. But Caruso, I also talked about how Caruso's really, really good as well. So I think I was pretty fair in my criticism. I think most of it still holds up. One game doesn't change much. But towards the end of the game, I think really AD helped close that game out. LeBron with his playmaking, of course, and he did score some clutch points down towards the end. But Lakers only had 102 points. It was really the defense that helped close that game four out. And AD was plus 17. Really, really had some fantastic defense towards the end, blocked some shots, altered some shots, made sure that the Heat essentially were not able to score towards the end of that game. And I think AD is the biggest reason why they won this game. He didn't put up a 30 or 40 point game like he usually does, but he was everywhere. And we can see that on the stat sheet, plus 17. And I think you could feel if you watched the game, instead of just looking at the stat sheet, that his presence was everywhere. And it was really something great to watch. Yeah, um, I don't know. Like, we, we haven't talked about LeBron too much, but the way he got those other guys involved in this game was, I, I think, exactly what LeBron James has been doing his entire career. We know the scoring, we know the rebounding, but the number one aspect of LeBron's game that it, it's just unparalleled is his passing ability, and that's how he made his money in this league. Like, after the turnovers in the first half, I was thinking, oh, is LeBron locked in? Is he engaged? Like, is it just something like nagging at him? Is it some injury? But he came out the second half looking to get other guys involved. And whether it's LeBron in the post, dishing out to all the three-point shooters, or breaking down the Miami zone, which has been surprisingly inefficient against a, a Laker team that obviously came prepared, ready to dissect the zone. I thought LeBron was phenomenal in the second half. And... The 28 points aren't it. I don't think it's the, the what did he have, 10 rebounds? No, 12 rebounds. I don't think it was that. The eight assists were all just very timely, good passes to open three-point shooters who need the confidence to make the open shots. So I thought LeBron played a great floor game. And this this brings me to one of my next questions, which is the finals MVP race, right? I, I'm not discrediting Miami right now. I think there's a chance they can come back, but I think it's slim against this Laker team. If LA wins the championship, I currently have Anthony Davis's finals MVP for his defensive impact because I think that changed the course of the series. Like Miami came into this game, one of the best offensive teams in the bubble. They play offense like the peak Golden State Warriors. Their ball movement, when they drive, they're not always looking to just get layups. They'll kick out, find open three-point shooters. You know, with Duncan, Tyler Hero, irrational confidence, Tyler Hero, might I add. Like, they're they're always hopping, skipping the ball. Like, it, it's fun to watch. But LA has shut that down to as well an extent as you can. So... My, my thing is, does LeBron's playmaking and offensive brilliance allowing the other guys to work their way into the game overshadow some of what Anthony Davis does on the defensive side, really controlling the game and slowing the pace down to something that the Lakers feel comfortable playing at? I don't think the finals MVP matters if the Lakers win this ring. Because I think both AD and LeBron have played fantastically. And I think Going into this, the one question you had is, could the Lakers keep up with this Miami offense? If Miami was allowed to fire on all cylinders, this Lakers team hasn't been the best at shooting during this playoff run of theirs. So would they be able to keep up this offensive firepower that wouldn't necessarily work? Maybe Bam would neutralize AD on offense. LeBron needed to step up. And again, LeBron's averaging like 28 points, 
during the series. 10 rebounds, close to 10 assists. He's had a triple-double already in his finals. And so on the offensive side of the ball, LeBron has really taken that primary playmaking role. And Rondo has definitely helped out when LeBron James has been on the bench as well. But LeBron James has been that firepower on offense. Although AD did have a 30-point game in Game 2, and he almost shot perfect the entire game. When the fourth quarter came around, AD was silent. And it was LeBron James that had to step up. And we saw him step up uh, towards the end in Game 5 against the Nuggets. He really hit a lot of crucial shots in the last few minutes of the game to close that game out. So I think we have to credit LeBron James here on the offensive side of the ball. However good AD has been, and AD has dropped some numbers during this final series, and people were talking about how crazy he had Game three or sorry, Game 2, he didn't score at all in the fourth quarter. So for me... That just shows you that, like, maybe, I mean, he didn't take a lot of shots in the fourth quarter, but still, you, you can't go and drop 30 in the first three on insane efficiency and just not score at all in the fourth. But LeBron James has consistently been the playmaking person on this Lakers team. But again, you can't discredit Anthony Davis's defense. It's instrumental. It's the reason why they've they've had this they have this three one lead right now. Especially you see in Game Four and Game One when Bam was really starting, especially in Game One. That really set the tone, right? Set the tone immediately off the bat. AD is going to dominate Bam. And AD is going to provide some great defense. In game four, AD's defense closed it out. LeBron James playmaking helped out a bit. But AD's defense closed it out. But if I'm the Lakers, you're just playing really good basketball at this point. And I don't think AD or LeBron care who has the finals MVP. I think they both care about the ring more than the actual finals MVP. The uh, What's the award called? We did it on our, on our sports trivia. It was the... Uh, Maurice Podolf. Isn't that the... It's it's the Bill Russell Finals MVP. Oh, no, it's the Bill Russell. Sorry, the Maurice Podolf is the regular season MVP, right? Yeah. Yeah, my bad. Okay, so the Bill Russell. Yeah, I don't know why I mixed those two up. I don't, I don't think they care who has the Bill Russell. And honestly, as a Lakers fan, I don't care. I don't care if it's LeBron or I don't care if it's AD. I think they've both done equally good things. You know, LeBron really on the offensive end and AD mostly on the defensive end, but also helping out on the offensive end. I don't, I don't think this discussion matters. First off, I don't think you should discuss it until... The series is over. I think it's bad luck. We saw that in 2016. But most importantly, I think in this situation, really team basketball. And I don't think LeBron, and this is just my opinion. I know no one's going to use it, you know, because people like to cherry pick stats. But I don't think if, if AD decides to really step up in, in game five or the, the voters or whoever decides, somebody decides, oh, yeah, AD gets finals MVP. I think there's a huge case to make that LeBron James should get that, but if LeBron James doesn't get it, I don't I don't think people should use it against LeBron when they're talking about, oh, is LeBron James the GOAT? I think, if anything, he deserves finals MVP, but at the same time, so does AD. I don't think people should use it against AD if AD doesn't get it and be like, oh, AD didn't get finals MVP during the 2020 finals. Like I think, literally, if they could split the award, they both should get it because they both have been instrumental on both sides of the ball. I really just don't care. I want the Lakers to win the ring. And I know that they don't care either. They just want to win that last game, to win that 16th game of these playoffs. Well, I was asking because I know you don't care. I don't really care. Nobody really cares, but it has to be given. And for a team it, with... for a give team it to with, Rondo. Honestly, give it to Rondo. Man, KCP, KC MVP. Rondo deserves it way more than KCP. Rondo deserves it, honestly, the most. He's been so... So instrumental on the offensive and defensive side of the ball this time. I mean, obviously not as instrumental as LeBron and AD, but when LeBron is off the off the floor, the AD Rondo like partnership is actually really really effective. And I mean, I really really am admiring Rondo for stepping up 
this playoffs and he's been hitting clutch shots clutch jumpers clutch three-point shooters like remember in 2008 2010 uh when the lakers played the, the, the celtics in the finals you'd never like everyone would just leave rondo open and he would miss that three now he's draining that three rondo should get like most improved finals player it, it's not even a real award but he's so improved from when he came 2008 and 2010 first few years in the league on that Celtics team versus now he's a totally different player. Same playmaking ability, but really on the offensive side of the ball, a lot more skilled, especially shooting. Well, yeah, Tony Allen said on some podcasts that it's the Jason Kidd effect where Kidd was not a great three-point shooter early in his career, but eventually stopped jumping as much when he actually released his jump shot. So I think Rondo's been doing that. He hasn't been doing... But remember before when he used to take a jump shot, he was just be so high up in the air and he would be shooting it kind of with this like awkward like side shot but now it's just it's more fluid he's not putting as much leg into it he can he's kind of extended his range so you know good for rondo but last thing i wanted to talk about regarding this series before game five goran Dragic, man like this guy is a warrior he has a torn plantar fascia right now and he warmed up before game four he really wanted to be out there. You could see in the pregame, he had like tears in his eyes while smiling just because you could see it. He wanted it. This is the finals and he's been arguably Miami's co-best player leading up to this finals run. And what he means to this team, what they haven't had in these finals with him not being there. Uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why LA is pretty comfortably ahead in this series right now. Because he and Bam have an amazing high pick and roll connection and Drogic's ability to get to the basket is something Miami's sorely missing right now. Like right now they're just primarily relying on Jimmy and using Tyler hero way too much on offense, like great offensive player, but heroes taking shots that should not be taken right now. So I think they're missing that stabilizing presence of a guard like Drogic. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think Drogic, Drogic, I, I don't know how to pronounce this. I feel like I have dyslexia when I'm reading his name. Right. First name is easy. Goran Dragic. It's D-R-A. Dragic. Is it Dragic, though? I don't know. I, I'm going to say Dragic because that yeah. sounds like sounds the better. most correct phonetically. Uh-huh. Goran Dragic. Uh, this is just in my head now. Oh, my God. Uh, he really stepped up. He had some clutch shots during the Celtics matchup remember we hit that like fade away over tice as the shot clock oh, yeah. was winding down and was a game one or game two and just really really stepped up so he's really missed and kendrick nunn is playing well but not playing as well as his first team all rookie sort of campaign in the regular season but still I'm, I'm glad i'm really happy for kendrick nunn i know that it was a hard road to for um to, to recover from COVID 19 for him so i'm glad that he's stepping up but yeah he's really really missed and i think if the heat can resign him on a one-year deal they definitely should because I think he's an integral part of this team. And whoever gets him next, I don't know where he's going. He's, he, they have a great player on their hands, but I think he fits really well into the system. Again, I, if he was in, I think the Heat would have taken the series. But without him, he's sorely missed. I think the Lakers are going to take this in Game 5, possibly Game 6. We'll see how everything happens. But the Lakers have a history of winning in five games during this playoff. So it seems like they might close it out in five games. I, I that's what I think based on prevailing history. I wouldn't be surprised if Miami takes another game, maybe even two. This Miami Heat team is anything but a pushover. 
but just based on the way that the past few games have gone, it seems to take a Herculean effort almost from Jimmy Butler and some bad offense and some sloppy defense by the Lakers to give the Heat a game. So I don't know. I feel like it might go in five. It'll be fun to watch, though. Like, I, I, I'm I, glad Miami's at least made it a series. Like, I just didn't want it to be straight 4-0, 20-point games every single time. So this Miami team's here to stay. They'll be back whether it's in game five, game six, or even next season. I'm, I'm excited for the future of that team. But enough basketball. We're going to be moving on to another league, and that is the NFL. We're going to do our usual, I think now it's officially called two-minute drills. Like, we're going to be... But before the two-minute drill, we got to do this halftime show because we got to talk about one thing in depth because I'm still really mad at something you said. But first off, biggest news of the week, Billy O.B., B.O.B. Billy <laughs> O'Brien, general manager, head coach, and play caller, which he just promoted himself to, which I didn't know you could do, but essentially he did. Um, now got fired as the Texans, again, general manager, head coach, and offensive play caller. Romeo Cornell has taken over that role. Finally, McNair, owner of the Texans, has decided enough is enough. But, I mean, I've never seen a single person destroy a franchise's past, present, and future more than Billy O'B. I mean, just look at his his moves. He traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, a second-round pick, traded Jadavion Clowney for a third-round pick, gave up first and second-round picks for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills, traded a second-round pick for Brandon Cooks. Literally none of those players have worked out, except maybe David Johnson's been having an okay season, but the, the Texans are 0-4, right? They're 0-4, and they don't own their first two-round picks. So it's just like, what are they going to do next? They're probably going to get the first pick of the draft. If not them, the Jets, they'll get the second or third pick. But get a top five pick, almost guaranteed. And they don't have that. The Dolphins have that pick. It's just crazy. Well, here's a here's a Billy O'Brien stat. And this is per ESPN Stats and Info. Um, he's fired after an 0-4 start. Houston is 0-4 for the third time in franchise history. Also 2008-2005. And he's the first head coach to be fired within the first four games of a season since Joe Philbin in 2015. The other coaches on this list since 1989, three of them are Raiders coaches. 2014 Raiders, Dennis Allen. 2008 Raiders, Lane Kiffin. And 1989 Raiders, Mike Shanahan. This is obviously a trend, but Bill O'Brien has just not been good. With or without DeAndre Hopkins, with or without Deshaun Watson, whether you're starting TJ Yates, whether you're starting Matt Schaub, I don't care. He has not made good football decisions for the Houston Texans. Remember what I said long ago when we first recorded this podcast that maybe trading DeAndre Hopkins would allow Watson to expand his game and find other receivers, Wolf Fuller. Which which I said was a terrible take. And I feel like I stand by that. And you have to eat those words right now. I will eat those words. But I I think the firing of Bill O'Brien isn't just this DeAndre Hopkins thing. It's just, like you yeah, said, it it's a it's an avalanche of bad moves that have screwed a franchise with a really bright star at quarterback. They're, they're wasting away some of the early good years of Deshaun Watson's career by not investing money in a good offensive line, not surrounding him with weapons that can really take this team to the next level offensively. And they've lost so much defensive talent. Like Jadavian Clowney was supposed to be a franchise player. Mind you, he hasn't panned out the way everyone thought his career would pan out. He's still like a pro bowl, all pro type player. And 
I, I don't remember when they let him go, but it seemed kind of ridiculous when that happened. So, it's just the, moves the like... The Davion Clowney thing, for me, I think they should have let him go because I don't think it, it would have been worth it to sign him to a contract. And the same thing the sort of the Chargers went through, right, with, with Melvin Gordon, is they didn't want to sign him to a huge contract. But I think they could have gotten a lot more for him than what they did. But, I mean, the Texans right now are spending... $255 million in cash on the roster, more than any other team in the NFL. This is according to Field Yates. And they don't have their first and second round picks. They're 0-4. So just... And the thing about Bill O'Brien is he's the general manager. He's the head coach. He's the offensive play caller that he promoted himself to. That he kind of set up the, the offensive play caller that, that was currently calling plays for, for the Texans. It was kind of a setup because they, they had a really hard schedule, right? They had what the Ravens, they had the Chiefs, and then they had the Pittsburgh Steelers. So if it didn't work out with those three games, Bill O'Brien knew, yeah, of course, I'm just going to let that guy take the fall. I'll be the offensive play caller. But another crazy thing he did, which I'm just still super confused, is he was really involved in the contract and negotiation side of the Texans, which general managers and head coaches generally aren't involved in, right? Like mm-hmm. he signed Tinsil, like him personally signed Tinsil to this precedent-altering contract, paid him so much money, and he traded away an equally competent left tackle for Tunsil, who they could have paid literally two times less, right? So for half the price, they've gotten a guy that essentially has the same stats as left tackles do in terms of how many blocks they or how many sacks they give up and their blocking rate and all that stuff. An equally competent left tackle, they could have kept him for lesser money, but instead they signed Tunsil to this huge, crazy contract. Let me add real quick, like Laramie Tunsil is a great tackle. Like he's he's very good. He's semi young. Like he he still has good years left. But you're right. Like paying money paying money to a a position that you already have pretty short up, at least like with regard to that specific position. Remember, their offensive line is still garbage. We're not taking away from that. They've never invested in a good offensive line. But to pay that much money to one player when there are so many other holes both on the defensive side, whether it's whether it's defensive end, whether it's your cornerbacks, they're they were using Garyon Conley as a feature cornerback, right? Garyon Conley was on the Raiders. He did absolutely nothing to show that he deserved any sort of large contract. And now I think he's one of the most important cornerback cornerstones for this Texans franchise, which is just sad. Like it, this is criminal what Bill O'Brien has done to this Texans organization. Yeah. And like Signing Randall Cobb, mistake, right? He was only good because of Aaron Rodgers. Actually, that's not true. Randall Cobb was really good, but he's obviously declined. It's like Brandon Cook declined as well. It's like it feels like Bill O'Brien's living in 2015. Like signing Randall Cobb, David Johnson, Brandon Cooks, like Laramie Tunsell, who was a huge draft pro- draft, uh, draft prospect then. Like it just seems like he's literally living in 2015. I don't understand why he made these moves, and I just feel so bad for Texans fans, man, mm-hmm. because. He, he screwed over their entire franchise and its future, and he can just leave with no repercussions and millions of dollars. It just isn't fair. It really isn't fair, and I feel bad for Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt, you know, Pat McAfee said today, if he ran for mayor of Houston, he probably would win. Uh, but that that man has put so much effort into into this Texans franchise and brought them their first playoff win, and 
two NFL Defensive Player of the Year awards, close to an MVP award, which is crazy for a defensive player, but he really was that good. And when when, when the hurricane hit in Houston, when Hurricane Harvey hit in Houston, he pulled together so much money to help rebuild that city. And apparently he was really instrumental in helping fire Bill O'Brien. He yelled at Bill O'Brien on practice and he was instrumental, but I feel bad for him. He wasted his years. This Texans franchise that gave him nothing. One playoff win, two playoff wins, like a few playoff wins here and there. And remember, this year has been terrible for the Texans. They had a 24-0 lead against the Chiefs. and They squandered that. They haven't won since that Bills game on the 4th of January. They basically gave away their entire future. They signed some terrible contracts. Like, what do the Texans do after this? Like, they hire, they have Romeo Cornell now. They just hope for Eric Bieniemy. Like, is that just pray and hope that Bieniemy wants to work with Deshaun Watson and build him up just like he sort of helped Patrick Mahomes? I, I really don't know what their hope is, what their future is. It's really confused, and I feel bad for, for, for Texans fans. I feel bad for the Texans. Deshaun Watson, again, just running for his life. He doesn't scramble. He literally runs for his life around the pocket. Mm-hmm. And so talented, just so wasted. Yeah. Um. I don't really want to say any more on this. I just think it's about time that this happened. Like, it's it, it's well overdue, and I'll leave it at that. All right, let's do it. Let's do uh, week four recaps. Yeah, let's do week four recaps. Enough with this Bill O'Brien slander. All right, let's we're gonna we're gonna do our usual segment, which is now officially two minute drills. We're we're sticking with that name. Um hundred percent confirmed two minute drill, not two minute warning, two minute, two minute drill. Drills. Let's go fast. Denver Broncos thirty seven, New York Jets twenty eight. Jets are the worst team in football. Brett Rippian is actually pretty good at football, but threw three picks, so you know, whatever. But this Broncos team has talent, more talent than the Jets do. Yeah, we saw Jerry Judy make a killer touchdown catch, uh, very reminiscent of Randy Moss. We saw Melvin Gordon show why he should be a feature back in the NFL. And we also saw a pretty good Sam Darnold rushing touchdown. But aside from that, no real bright spots for the Jets. Their their season looks really rough. Yeah, so next game, Saints 35, Lions 29. And Matt Patricia, after this game, was asked why people should still believe that he's the right coach to turn the Lions around. And he said, when I came to Detroit, there was a lot of work to do. And we saw a lot of people, but especially ESPN analyst Dan Orlovsky, who played on the Lions team with Jim Caldwell, talk about the Lions and just, yeah, I mean, the the Lions were honestly not that bad of a team until Matt Patricia came along. I'm surprised he hasn't been fired. Caldwell was 21-15 and 15 in his last 36 games. Matt Patricia is 10, 25, and 1 in his first 36 games. So, I mean, I don't know why Patricia has this big of a leash. The Lions really managed to eke out a win against the Cardinals that they shouldn't have deserved, and this loss was just another one in a string of losses for the Lions. So, Well, Matt Patricia has been bad, but he's also had key injuries to key players at pretty bad times. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he is 10 and 25 as a Lions head coach. So, a lot of work to be done there, but the Saints' rushing attack really carried them. Latavius Murray, ex Raider. I'll always have love for Latavius Murray. He was on that thirteen and three, no, twelve and four Oakland team that, you know, showed some hope for the future. But Drew Brees looked mostly accurate, but just again, like no real deep threats. So Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Chargers thirty one, Buccaneers thirty eight. Tom Brady threw five different touchdowns to five different receivers and was the NFC offensive player of the week. But the story of this game is Justin Herbert. 
and how good he is. He threw three touchdowns, all three really beautiful balls. Two of them were over 50-yard passes to essentially two unknown receivers. It was really, really a great game for him. He threw a pretty bad interception towards the end of the game, but the play call was garbage. They, for some reason, ran a play action with three minutes left. They were doing a two-minute drill, name of the segment, but they were doing a two-minute drill, and they ran a play action with Justin Herbert under center. I, like That isn't convincing to the audience. It's not going to do anything to the defense. The defense will not bite. You're not going to run the ball with under three minutes left on second down with like 70 yards to go. I don't understand why the play call was that. I think... Justin Herbert, I, I eat my words, okay? I eat my words from draft day when I was sad that we drafted Justin Herbert. I'm getting a Justin Herbert jersey. I, I'm full in on him. And I think the Chargers coaching staff is going to screw whatever potential he has over because that's the Chargers coaching staff. Chargers continue to lose very winnable games. Blew another lead in this game. What was it, 24-7? 24-7, we fumbled the ball, and then the Patriots score. It's not the Patriots, sorry, Buccaneers. Tom Brady's team scores. Well, I, I saw from the Bucks an offense that could make the Super Bowl. This is the first time I really saw every single component of the offense click. Ronald Jones had a good game. Mike Evans had that complete receiving game that we've yet to see from him this season. So I, I liked what I saw from Tampa Bay. No Chris Godwin, too. So Scotty Miller had to step up. Shouts out to Scotty. Uh, Bengals 33, Jaguars 25. I was right on this pick. You picked the Jaguars, but I believed in Joe Burrow, and he stepped up. Uh, Joe Burrow's the answer, man. Joe Burrow with a viral tweet after this game, I like winning. So we know what Joe Burrow likes. He won a lot at LSU. They do have the same record as the NFC East leading Philadelphia Eagles for all that swerp. Vikings 31, Texans 23. The loss that... You know, really f- spurred the firing of Bill O'Brien potentially. Uh, Vikings get their first win, and surprised that the Vikings were able to get this win. Justin Jefferson really stepped up, so good for him that he's stepping up. But yeah, Adam Thielen had another great game, and the Vikings' offense is starting to click. Like they, of all the teams that were zero and three, were if you go okay, which of these zero and three teams could make a run at the playoffs? I think the Vikings are a very likely threat for that, just because. They've underperformed far beyond anyone could have expected. Like I think they know they're better than this. So maybe this is their their little quarter season spark. Definitely. Seahawks 31, Dolphins 23. A lot closer of a game than we thought that the Seahawks team would have, have in, in, in Miami. So very, very confused. But Seahawks managed to win this one. So congrats to Russell Wilson, who didn't throw five touchdown passes like he usually does. Uh... This was funny because I was playing football with some buddies here and um, someone said, oh, the Seahawks and the Dolphins, it's like a close game. And then someone was like, oh, how much time's left? Four minutes. Who has the ball? Russell Wilson. And then everyone was like, all right, all right, the Seahawks are going to win. And that just shows how much having a quarterback you trust and rely on matters. Like if, if you know Russell Wilson has the ball, there's four minutes left, he's going to score. I think that's something that a lot of teams are missing, but the Seahawks have. So They'll always pull out the close games, and they're going to be good as long as Russell Wilson is cooking. Browns 49, Cowboys 38. You got this one right. I got this one wrong. I mean, not that I didn't believe in the Browns, but yeah, I didn't believe in the Browns, and their (laughs) rushing attack is too much. Well, we have a history of believing in the Browns and the Browns disappointing us, but this year feels different. I just think they started out the gate slow. Um, Odell Beckham had one of the most complete games I've ever seen a player have. Two carries, 73 yards, and a touchdown. 
Five receptions, 81 yards, and two touchdowns. And he's starting to look like the dynamic weapon that a lot of people expected when he got traded to the Browns. Panthers 31, Cardinals 21. Teddy Bridgewater pulling out another win for Matt Rule on this Panthers squad that's now 2-2. Two and two. And Kyler Murray in the Cardinals squad that started out 2-0 and is now 2-2. Two and two. Very confusing sort of reverse trends for these two teams. We'll see how this this Cardinal squad shapes up, but this Panthers team, after that win in LA against the Chargers, really seems to have stepped up their level of football. Yeah, the the, the Panthers are. We forget they're missing Christian McCaffrey, so right now they're not even their best version of themselves. But Teddy Bridgewater is a pretty good quarterback. I'm not putting him as like a upper tier quarterback or anything. He's good. Like he will win you games. He's better than someone like. Maybe Tyrod Taylor. Like, he's a little more explosive than a player like that. So, I think he's doing a good job managing a pretty young Carolina team overall. Yeah. Ravens 31, Washington football team 17. Dwayne Haskins with statistically pretty okay game, 314 yards. No touchdowns, but no interceptions. But this game was what led him uh, to being benched now. That's the huge news of week five is he's now benched. He's a third stringer. Uh, Josh Allen. Who, no, no, no. Right? Kyle Allen. Kyle, Kyle Allen. Allen. Sorry, not Josh Allen. Kyle Allen. Too many Allens. Kyle Allen, who used to play for the Panthers and Juan Rivera last year, is now starting for the Washington football team. Alex Smith is the backup. And really relegation. And I think this this game spurred it on. It's just the Ravens had some great plays. Lamar Jackson had some great plays. But it wasn't like Washington was out of it. It's you know, 31-17 isn't that, that wide of a margin. But it's just they couldn't get any offense going. Yeah, the Ravens' defense really showed their elite-tier potential. And shout-out to Alex Smith, man. Came back from a life-threatening injury. And we've we've seen the documentary on ESPN. We've seen what he's been through. So good on him for you know making it back and now just a, a play or two away from being on the field. Giants 9, Rams 17. A very, very close game. I watched the end of this. Danny Dimes hit some dimes and then threw a bad pick. I was surprised that the Rams... We're, we're almost they almost lost this game honestly it was super close i was just so surprised giants may have stumbled upon this something you know their defense looked really good against a, a sean McVay team that i think this is their lowest yard output in the sean McVay era so props to the giants for executing their game plan and it was funny what you said about danny dimes like oh i saw danny dimes he threw some dimes and then he threw a pick and that just summarizes what this guy's been doing the entire season Bills 30, Raiders 23, a closer game than I thought it would be. Raiders definitely came through in the end, though, to make the score seem closer than it was. But just the Raiders' struggles in the red zone are really astounding to me because they have this huge, great back, Josh Jacobs, but they always manage to make it like third and goal at the seven-yard line where they're never going to run the ball. I just don't understand. The red zone opportunities, they never hit. Yeah, I want to see them give the ball to Jacobs more because... I, I think the issue is that they know teams are just going to load up the box against Jacob. So that's why they try to run some some play action and get Waller some looks in the end zones, let Carr spread the ball around. The most frustrating thing about this game was the turnovers because every single time it was still a one-score game, Oakland was very... Las Vegas was very much still in it. I'm going to make this mistake over and over again. Um, there were so many just bad ball security plays. Like Carr got lucky where they called one thing forward progress, but he fumbled the ball. And then 
another play where someone just punched out the ball. I, I'm pretty sure it was Josh Norman. So, you know, the, the the Bills are scary. Like, Josh Allen is making the right plays. He's not just yellowing every ball down the field like he used to when he first started off. Um, disappointing end of game execution for the Raiders, but it was competitive. And I think there were some encouraging things to take from this. Colts 19, Bears 11. Just a really defensive slog, honestly. No one was able to get anything going. Nick Foles could not sprinkle his magic dust over what's possibly the best defense in the NFL right now. Certainly from a statistical standpoint, the best defense in the NFL right now. But the the Colts running back situation is what intrigues me the most. You have Jonathan Taylor, first round pick, premier back, definitely going to be a stud. But you split him carries with Naheem Hines, which I totally get why you split him carries with Naheem Hines because Naheem Hines really brings some explosiveness to the run game and he's sort of like like nimbler than Jonathan Taylor but then you also bring in Jordan Wilkins who essentially like build build wise looks the same as Taylor like I don't know why you'd split carries almost like three ways as like a two to one to one ratio I just I'm very confused give most of your carries to Taylor and then bring in Himes and like second and third down like I don't know yeah it's just really confusing for it's gonna be Grant. even more interesting when Marlon Mack comes back because then you, then you have you have four very capable backs, right? Like, I think it's obviously going to be Mack and Taylor primary. But Naheem Hines is probably going to be signed by someone else if he feels like he isn't getting the opportunities here. So, yeah. I don't know. I, a quick thing about Phillip Rivers. How do you think he's looked overall this season? With this improved offensive line, he looks a lot better. I mean, this game, the, the Bears' defense is stingy. Like, they've only given up, I think, one still, one passing touchdown to opposing offenses this season. So, it's a very tough defense. So, the fact that he was able to not screw up the game... I think the Colts defense helped that out a lot. I think this is the first time he's ever had a really good offensive line and a really, really good defense. First time ever in his career. I think Phillip Rivers might make it really far in the playoffs. I wish, just, you know, I, I wish Andrew Luck had this kind of support when he was on the Colts. I know. I mean, the thing is, they built all this for Andrew Luck, though, right? In mind. Mm-hmm. They didn't expect him to retire. So, like, all of this should have been Andrew Luck's, right? But, I mean, right. Hope, hope Andrew Luck is doing well. Uh, Eagles 25, 49ers 20. I was at my uncle's house in Santa Clara. That's right next to the stadium. And whenever the 49ers scored, you could hear the bullhorn. So we'd always know they scored before we saw it on TV because there's just that little lag with TV time. And when Nicky Mullins, or it's not, not when Nicky Mullins, because Nick Mullins had a terrible game, when CJ Beathard threw that Hail Mary pass into the end zone, I knew it wasn't going to get caught because I didn't hear the horn. And so it almost got caught, gave me hope, and I was like, why am I cheering? I know I know what happened. But very interesting game. The, the 39ers really played like the 39ers, and uh, yeah, the Eagles had a good game. Carson Wentz, beautiful dime, beautiful dime to um, the, the uh, I don't know what the wide receiver's name is. Travis wide Fulgham. Receiver, of course. Fulgham? What? Travis Fulgham? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Travis Fulgham. Yeah, that's his name. Really, really good pass to him, so. I, I don't think Carson Wentz knows the name of the receivers he's throwing to this season. <laughs> um, this is one of those games I was watching, and it, I, it was bad football for so much of this game. Like, I just wanted the game to be done. And, yeah, yeah Eagles needed this win. They're now in first place. Congrats to the worst division in football. Patriots 10, Chiefs 26. The game-changing play. There was a couple of them. One was Brian Hoyer being Brian Hoyer and thinking he had a timeout, taking a sack. Could have been 6-all going into halftime, was instead 6-3 Chiefs. Then, the 
most bizarre play I've ever seen. If I was a Patriot, I'm mad as not a Patriots fan that the, this call got called back when somehow Patrick Mahomes was ruled down. Like, but he clearly fumbled the ball. It should have been an interception return for a touchdown. If at the like at the least, should have been a fumble. Like Patriots got the ball back, but instead happened to be again super confusing. Happened to be in what, a sack and the. Uh, she's punted it away and Bill Belichick was mad about the wrong thing so didn't realize what the actual call on the field was just like a crazy 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 game but I think one thing we've learned is no matter how good the opposing defense is you cannot control Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense for more than three quarters right and they managed mm-hmm. to burst out in the fourth quarter after essentially not scoring a touchdown all game and Patrick Mahomes really stepped up and I was cheering for Jared Stidham he had the great first throw second throw into the end zone and then just had one interception was not his fault at all. I think that kind of shook his confidence. The second interception, he should have skied the ball. He definitely underthrew that one. But I vote Jarrett Stidham as a starting quarterback. I think he brings way more to an offense than than Brian Hoyer does. But you know, yeah, I I agree too because the the Edelman like he threw it to Edelman, it just bounced off his hands and got picked. So that's all on Julian Edelman right there. But yeah, man, I don't know the I I don't have sympathy for the Patriots not getting a call on a fumble related play after the tuck roll. So I really could not care less, but yes, they did get screwed. Like that should have been returned for a touchdown. Packers 30, Falcons 26. Shoutouts to me. Falcons 16. uh, Yeah, sorry. Falcons 16, Packers 30. I don't know I said 36. I was too engrossed in the next thing I was about to say, which was, I was like, what if Devontae Adams for fantasy wise doesn't play. Let me pick up somebody. I was like, Jamal Williams or Robert Tanyan? Let me pick up Robert Tanyan. Picked him up. Started him in place of Devontae Adams when I saw he wasn't starting, which he had a one hell of a subtweet, by the way. Uh, even Aaron Rodgers was like, yeah, that was a great subtweet at the Packers, I guess, medical staff, coaching staff. I don't know who. Uh, Robert Tanyan with three touchdowns and Aaron Rodgers is looking like the MVP. Like him, Russell Wilson, throwing Josh Allen, like just crazy quarterback play going on in the first four, five four weeks and they have their bye week next so hopefully for his sake for Rodgers sake Devontae Adams comes back in week six but I mean Aaron Rodgers doesn't need anybody he's throwing to literally no-name guys like no offense to Marquez Valdez Scantling and like Robert Tanya and stuff but just like insane the stuff he's about to do and obviously the Falcons just suck so you know yeah and I have Aaron Jones and I've been starting him every single like basically every week he's just such a threat in the past game now with Dude, what basically no receivers yeah i know risky right like one risky, of the best so one of the best running backs ever might have to consider starting him a little bit but so he's so good though he's yeah so good. he's he and he kind of came out of nowhere like i i never heard yeah. a thing about this guy like coming out of college or when he was recruited how he was recruited like he, he just exploded on the scene so yeah good for him yeah. So before we go into our week five preview, uh, some things. Stefan Gilmore diagnosed with COVID-19. Second Patriots starter, other than Cam Newton. Third Patriots player, Jordan Ta'amu, who we talked about in one of the first episodes of this pod when talking about the XFL. So good throwback. Happy he's on the, the, the team. Um, but no other Chiefs players, no other Patriots players tested positive. We'll see what happens to this game. Uh, very, very curious. But yeah, I mean... There's some unconfirmed reports that the Titans practiced, or I guess they're confirmed now. The Titans practiced after, like, the facilities were shut down. They practiced in, like, a high school football field. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Some COVID stuff is going on. And the Titans, again, have, I'm not sure if, 
I said this before. The Titans have two new cases as well. So they had two days of no positive cases. Now they have two more positive cases. So that Bills game that they're supposed to be playing this Sunday could get potentially postponed again. Maybe they have to forfeit the game. We don't know. And then Saints Chargers Monday Night Football game is supposed to be in the Thunderdome. Not the Thunderdome. The uh, Superdome. Superdome. Yeah, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in New Orleans. Uh, there's a hurricane that just hit Cancun. It's hitting that Yucatan Peninsula area of Mexico that's going up. Hurricane Delta. And so they might push that game, move that game to uh, to be in Indianapolis to play in Lucas Oil. Uh, LSU's game is being moved up to uh, Missouri. So I think... No, I'm not... No, not Missouri. Um, I forgot who... LSU's game is being moved up on Saturday. So essentially... That game might be moved up, so that's the news. You want to talk about any of that stuff, Gilmore? Is Titans. there is there the chance like we don't get a sixteen game season for the NFL? Definitely, I don't know. Or the season just gets extended hella. Like I think what might happen is after this week, or after maybe next week, there's just like a three week break, and then they just break into like regional bubbles, like a West Coast bubble, like a South bubble, like a North bubble, and just like sort of do their whole thing. I don't know. Potentially, you never know. Cause the I NFL, like when the St. Louis Cardinals in Major League Baseball, when they had a lot of COVID tests, like their season was just five games less than all the other teams. I don't think that's realistically going to happen for like a single NFL team. Like I think they would more likely to just standardize it across the league. But it's something to watch. Like as as more COVID cases like come into the NFL news. Definitely, yeah. So now our Week Five previews. Okay, so Buccaneers versus the Bears on Thursday Night Football. Get to see Tom Brady versus Nick Foles. Super Bowl 52-53 matchup, rematch? I don't know 53. the number for that. 53. 50 was in high school, 51-52. Super Bowl 52. Super Bowl 52. 52. 52 match, rematch. Who do... I, I don't even know why I'm bothering so much on the rematch of the Super Bowl number, but okay. I think Buccaneers is easily going to take this, but... Yeah, I mean, I th- if that's actually I don't know because the Bears defense has been good. I think the Buccaneers will take this, but the Bears defense has been good, so you never know. No, I think the Bucks won this because the Bears have a quarterback problem. Like Nick Foles is not the answer at quarterback. No, he is the answer, but this this char- uh, this Buccaneers defense is actually really good. So Nick Foles we'll is not Nick Foles is not good. Sorry, he's great. He's a serviceable quarterback. He's not one of the someone- greatest of all time. All right, yeah, he he's gonna have a statue in Philly. I know that. Bills versus Titans. Assuming this game gets played, which I don't think it will, I'd say the Bills win. And I think the Bills win is a safe bet because even if the Bills or the Titans forfeit, then the Bills win, that gets counted. I don't... A COVID bet I place on the Bills. Um, It's like a pick for me, man. Like The Titans are really good offensively and... The Bills are also a really good team. So I, I don't know. Like, they're both very evenly matched, like a battle of undefeated teams. Like, it could go either way. I, I, I'll I go Bills. I'll go Bills because I saw what they did to my Raiders this week. It was impressive. Jaguars-Texans. Okay, I'm picking the Texans here, which I think is stupid, but they have to get a win sometime. Yeah, this is the last time I bet on the Texans, I think. Bengals-Ravens. Uh, Ravens, which is sad for Joe Burrow, but, you know, whatever. Man just wants to win, but it's not going to happen this week. Panthers-Falcons. I think the Panthers are going to win this. I don't have any faith in the Falcons. I'm betting on the Falcons. I, I need them to win one game, man. And, you know, they they technically should be 2-2. Two and two. So, I, I want the Falcons 
to get out of this 0-4 slump. Raiders Chiefs, uh, yeah, you can pick the Raiders and just accept defeat here. I'm definitely picking the Chiefs. Did you win this week in terms of? Uh, I did. I, I was eleven and four, and you were nine and five, nine and six, nine and six. Yeah, this was. Yeah, you were nine and six. I was eleven and five. Picking, so I, picking the Raiders this week was not smart. Um, no, the Raiders. Okay, the Bills were a lot closer of a matchup to the Raiders than the Chiefs are. So, well, I don't know about that. I think the Chiefs and the Bills are like similar-ish because Buffalo's defense is definitely better. Um, All I'll have to say is that the Chargers almost beat the Chiefs. So if you think that the Raiders are better than the Chargers, you should pick the Chargers or the Chiefs, the Raiders to win. The problem is the Raiders never beat the Chiefs. Like it just doesn't happen. So, nah, screw it. I'm going Oakland. I'm going with the Raiders. Las Vegas. I don't care. I make that mistake too much. Las Vegas. Fine. Cardinals versus Jets. Cardinals. Yeah, it's the easy one. Yeah, this I guess this is one of the more winnable games for a Jets team that, you know, I don't think they'll go 0-16. I think but, they will. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to say the Cardinals. Steelers, Eagles, I'll say Steelers because they've had an extra week of rest now, so they have to, like, definitely beat up on this garbage Philly squad. This is, like, the least I've heard about Big Ben in a season ever. Like, I just... There's, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. There's just so. no news about the Steelers. They've just been good. So, yeah. Pittsburgh. Rams versus Washington football team. I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams here. They're playing good football. Although, maybe they struggle against bad teams. Maybe it'll be a repeat of what happened with their other NFC East rivals. The the Washington's NFL East, NFC East rivals. The New York Giants. But if the Rams win, they'll sweep the entire NFC East division. And it'll be the first time they've done that. Like Literally, it's five weeks. They've played four teams in five weeks from the NFC East. Well, that'd be crazy. That's one of the least heralded accomplishments of all time, considering how that division is this year. But yeah, good bounce back opportunity for a Rams offense that struggled. Yeah. Dolphins at 49ers. I'm going to pick the Dolphins. No, like, I'm, I'm controversial. Uh, I'm going to go with the Niners. I just think the Niners are a more disciplined football team. I think Fitzpatrick makes more mistakes than CJ Beathard probably will. So. I'll leave it at that. Giants-Cowboys. A very tough matchup, but I'm going to say the Cowboys are going to win this one. Right, the Cowboys better win this. Otherwise, they're... Fire everybody. I honestly want to say how much I despise the Cowboys. Not because I don't like them as a team. It's just the fact that I have to watch them play garbage matchups on Fox NFL Sunday as America's Game of the Week. I do not want to watch the Cowboys face the Giants, even if the Giants are good and the Cowboys are good, but especially in this case when both teams are bad. just hate the fact that the Cowboys have this huge market share and their games are always primetime games and just... Can the, I don't want to watch Can the NFL game. flex this game out? They, they can, but they won't. Yeah, because New York and Dallas are two of the biggest markets in America. Well, they, they don't yeah. mind flexing out Raider games. Like, they've never minded. I... I've wanted to watch a lot of Raider games and they've been flexed out, but they'll never do it to these guys. Broncos, Patriots. This is a lot tougher with no Cam Newton, but I'm still going to have to pick the Patriots. And it's like confirmed Cam's missing like next game, right? I mean, um, unless he tests negative for COVID, which I don't think will happen. Um, so. Yeah, I'm going to go the Patriots. 
Well, Gilmore's out too. Um, yeah, but okay, sure. Uh, it, this is like a this is like a toss up, but I think yeah, the Patriots are a little. The better. Broncos have a receiver and a half, so yeah, and that receiver and a half is Jerry Judy. He is the receiver and a half. Patrick is playing well though, so you never know. Okay, Colts Browns. This is a really tough one, honestly. I'm a I'm gonna pick the Colts because I think the Colts defense is better than the Browns defense. Well, I believe in the Browns offense. Like they they've been firing on all cylinders. Baker's looked a little more comfortable in the pocket, making good plays. Receivers are really good. Jarvis Landry is probably the third best quarterback in the league at this point. Trick play, Jarvis Landry. Um, yeah, I. I, if there's any game I'm going to watch at the 125 slot, and there's a lot of games at 125, I'll watch the Browns-Colts game. There's four games that involve the 39ers, the Dolphins, the Giants, Cowboys, the Broncos, Patriots. This is the only game to watch during that time slot. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, Vikings-Seahawks, I think it's an easy money one. Uh, Kirk Cousins has not performed well in prime time, so has to go to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Yes, I think the Seahawks take this as well and then the Chargers Saints I'm picking against the Chargers here because that is what I will do for every game of this season so well yes the Chargers have played well right like they haven't played poorly this season especially with Herbert as quarterback we haven't played poorly but we're one in three no so I, it I, I know how well we play I know you're one in three but I think your play isn't indicative of your record I'm trying to like I don't think the Saints are as good as what people really expected no, no, no. going into the season. I think I think our our play is indicative of our record in the sense that we play really really well until the fourth quarter comes along and then we just suck. So I'll go with the Saints, but I feel uneasy about it. Like there's a very real possibility the Chargers just like play a, a fantastic defensive game and win like 28-10 or something. I sincerely doubt this because the Saints will come back. We will be up 20 to 10 in the first half. Second half, the Saints will come back. It'll be like 38, 35 or something like that. So, I mean, it, it's going to happen. I guarantee it. Well, yeah, but, that that wraps up our NFL previews for week five. Um, this is going to be, well, if you've, if you've been watching the video, you know it's a video podcast, but this is going to be up on our YouTube channel. Ani's going to be editing this bad boy. Um We'll have all the tweets we referenced in in um, the earlier basketball segment. We'll have those up. We'll we'll make it a good presentation for y'all if you decide to watch it in this format. But we'll also be putting it up on our usual Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, the finals are going to yes, the A's won. I've been like sneakily every time I look a little that way. It's because I'm keeping track of this game. The A's were down seven four and one. So. Now it's 2-1 ALDS. Screw the Houston Astros. Nobody likes them. Trash can, cheaters, everything. They're playing They're playing in Dodger Stadium? Where are they playing? Yeah, Dodger Stadium because it's neutral site. Like all the ALDS games are uh, neutral site, which is weird because the ball has been carrying in Dodger Stadium. Like so many home runs were hit in today's game. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, you never... It's, it's kind of like you're in Colorado, right? I don't know. Yeah, it's, like, I, it's I, Coors I'm Field. To this, like, it's Coors Field, no, like, man. <laughs> In, in the first two games, there were still a lot of home runs hit. There was the home run hit by the, by the Astros. I was like, this does not feel like the Dodger Stadium I know. So, yeah, it's very, it, very weird. It's been a home run derby in this series for sure. But yeah, the A's yeah. are officially now back in the series, which is fun. But yeah, yeah. that's 
the NBA finals are going to come to an end, which means all our basketball content is just going to be draft off season and like hypotheticals, power rankings, all that kind of stuff. Remember when we were doing this early on when we were making podcasts, we were just talking about anything but real power basketball. rankings and power rankings. Well, yeah, we've come a long way since then. Ani, anything else? Uh, I really don't have anything to say. I just guess go Lakers. I mean, hopefully they win. But I mean, other than that, uh, stay safe. Wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Peace.